Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Let me ask you guys a question right at the get-go. How many of you have in the past tried to be good by trying hard? You set about pulling yourself up by your moral bootstraps. Uh, Your motto was, suck it up, get her done. Right, it was like, don't do this, okay, don't do that, don't do this, do that, but don't do this. Keeping a list of rules and checking off a list, hoping that it would help you to be good. Raise your hand again, if you've done that. How'd that work for you? Me neither. I think there's help for us tonight, because I think we, we all fall back into this very very easily. Let me give you guys a a brief synopsis of where we are here in in Romans. Chapters 1 through the beginning of chapter 3 left us condemned to die. Paul was very clear in his courtroom scene. Look, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us were, by the time we got to Romans chapter 3 verse 20, condemned to die. Well, the good news, Romans chapter 3, verse 21, up through uh, chapter 5, left us not just condemned, but justified. That is, apart from the law, Romans 3.21 says, there's a way that you can be justified, just as if I had never sinned. A one-time transaction that Jesus pulls off single-handedly, and all you have to do is raise your hand and say, Lord, I want in. Lord, here's my life, the mess that it is, and I will trade you mine for yours. <laughs> Pretty sweet deal. Well then, chapters 6 through 8, where we are now, left us first condemned, but now justified, but now we're right in the middle of this section that tells us, encourages us, helps us become sanctified. Whereas justification was an on, or excuse me, a one-time event, sanctification is an ongoing thing, ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus, less and less bound to our old master sin. And Paul is in the process here of giving us principles helping us to understand things from uh, God's perspective, giving us principles that help. You guys remember some of the things that he's telling us to help us uh, become more sanctified. It all starts in the head. It all starts with knowing, right? Uh, Know that you are, chapter 6, dead to sin. Know that you are alive to God. Know that because of that, your old master sin has no hold over you, okay? Well, now we come to chapter 7, and guess what? Paul will not get off this hobby horse. Once again, he says, you're dead, and that's a good thing. But this time, instead of dead to sin, what he says is, you are dead to the law and married to Christ. If you're taking notes, i got an outline for you. You have uh, got basically five or six different A's, words that start with A. The first word you might want to write down is annulled. Then the second word is alerted. A third word is aroused, as in the law aroused sin in me. The fourth word is attacked. 
Sin attacked me and it used the law. A fifth word, sin assassinated me. And then we come back to the word annulled. Okay? So if you're taking notes, down the side of your page you will have a bunch of A's. And hopefully at the end you'll go, Ah, now I get it. Okay, here we go. Chapter 7, verse 1. Paul says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law. First of all, stop. The word brethren, that tells us that Paul is speaking to believers. Okay, he's speaking to people who are already justified, just as if they'd never sinned. Okay, uh, legally, positionally, that's us. Okay, but now he's beginning, he's continuing talking about us becoming sanctified. And the topic of discussion in chapter 7 is the law. He says, do you not know, brethren, for I speak to, know, to those who know the law. What's he mean by the law? Well, definitely the Ten Commandments, but not limited to the Ten Commandments. Basically, he's talking about any list of rules where you check off. right? You say, okay, if I do this, God will like me. If I do this, he won't like me. Any list of rules, any way of gaining God's favor by checking off a list. Paul wants to help the sincere Christian. I hope there's bunches in here. The sincere Christian who knows, okay, I, I get it, I'm justified, but I want to become more and more sanctified. The first thing that he says might surprise you. The very first thing he points out in chapter 7 is your marriage to the law was annulled by your death. Look at it, verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Implied there is only as long as he lives, right? Paul says, look, here's the principle. Your marriage, that is your commitment to the law, was annulled by your death. There's the principle. Now Paul says, let me illustrate. Verse 2. For the woman who has a husband, is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. The principle would be even more obvious to the people that Paul wrote because of the patriarchal, patriarchal society of the day, right? Women, wives in particular, were more like property than equals. I don't know if you, if you know, but back then in the day, a man could divorce his wife for any reason. She burned my dinner, so I wrote her a divorce. Wife, the wife, though, however, was only released by poisoning his food. I mean, accidental death. The only way out of this marriage, the only way out of her servitude to her husband, someone has to die. Don't get any ideas. <clears throat> Speaking of, Lisa and I celebrated 18 happy years last night. Yep. We've been married 26. No, no. No, no. We've just been married 18. But I love that joke. <clears throat> so you can pray for Lisa because her only way out is death. 
That's why I made sure that, that we picked a place to eat last night so she wouldn't poison me. No. <laughs> you, you get the point. Look at verse 2 again. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Paul says, go figure. You marry another person while your spouse is still alive, they call you an adulteress. But one day, your husband kicks the bucket and you marry again. Now they say, oh, we're so glad for you. (laughs) Right? The one thing that's different in that equation is death. Death nullifies all contracts, all marriages, all commitments. Think of it in a different terms. You commit some crime, they catch you red-handed. The, the sentencing, the, the guilt stage is already covered. Now, now comes the sentencing. It looks like you're going up the river, but the day before the sentencing, you take a dirt nap. Guess what? Case dismissed. You got off scot-free. Lucky stiff. (laughs) Death has a way of canceling all contracts, all debt. Now, hopefully you're getting the concept. Paul says, now let me put names in those starring roles. Who is the husband? Who's the wife? Uh, Who's the other other, uh, person to be married to? Look at verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, Paul says... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Who's that? Jesus. That we should bear fruit to God. Paul puts the the people in the starting roles. Okay, believer, you are the wife. You were married to the law. You had no way out. But death, just as we learn in chapter 6, The day that you gave your life to Jesus, right? Guess what? You died. You were in his body on the cross. Chapter 6 says, look, you need to reckon that. You need to remember that you are dead to sin. Sin is no longer your legal, rightful master, okay? But here in chapter 7, notice he says, once again, you're dead. But this time he says, you're dead to the law. No longer is... Mr. Law, your husband. Joe Foch, pastor in Philadelphia, has a great way of illustrating this. I want to share it with you. He's like, okay, you're married to Mr. Law. He's Mr. Perfect. He wakes up. His hair is perfect. He slept in bed all night, but his clothes are perfectly ironed. He gets in his perfect car. He drives to his perfect job. He is the perfect employer. He's a perfect citizen. But guess what? When he gets home, he expects everything perfect. And the food that you've prepared is perfect. It's awesome. And your kids are perfectly behaved. But over there, in that one corner, a dust bunny. The night is ruined. He's perfect, but you're not. says, but... One day you wake up and it's 9.05 a.m. You look over and your husband, Mr. Perfect, is still in bed. And he's never been late to work ever before. The reason? He's late now? He's dead. Thankfully, his hair is perfectly combed. 
He's already in his perfect burial suit. And guess what? Now you are free to marry another. This other person you marry is also perfect. But he's not expecting perfection from you. But just to be around him, this other perfect one, makes you want to be better. It makes you want to be more and more like him. Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. I'm, I'm not even going to ex- exposit on that yet because I think it will become more clear as we, as we come back to it. Verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, our old husband, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Again, we're going to be coming back to those because I think they make a really great way to close the message. But please understand Paul's first point. That this first word, annulled. Your marriage and service to the law was annulled by your death. So you are free to marry and serve, not the law, but the Lord. Whereas following the rules... Doing what the rules told you to do was killing you. Yes, I remember that. Now, fostering this new relationship will bring you life, Paul says. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Now, that's another visit from our rhetorical questioner. Have you noticed him? Chapter 6, verse 1, he says, hey, what then? What about this? Chapter 6, verse 15, he says, well, what about this? He's back now, verse 7. This rhetorical questioner says, well, wait a second, Paul. Paul, you said in chapter 6 we were dead to sin. Now here in chapter 7 you're saying we are dead to the law. Paul, that makes the law sound like a bad thing. Paul, are you saying the law is a bad thing? Are you equating law and sin? Paul's answer, verse 7, certainly not. We've seen that every time this rhetorical questioner comes up. The It's strongly emphasized word. Absolutely not. Are you kidding me? You can't be serious. That's the kind of response Paul gives to that question. Is the law sin? Absolutely not. This is as adamant as you possibly can be. Okay, from here on out, this is a good time. If you didn't have your thinking caps on already, put them on now. Okay? Um, what What we want to show you, and Paul is amazing at the way that he does this. Paul will amazingly, simultaneously accomplish quite a few things here in these next few verses. Number one, he's going to defend the law. Look at verse 12 and you'll see his conclusion to this section is, Therefore, look, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. See, he's, he's going to accomplish that. He's going to defend the law. And yet, he's also going to explain how sin uses the law against us. So therefore, he's going to show why it's important that we understand that we are dead to this good thing called the law. It's a good thing, but we're supposed to think of ourselves as dead to it. And finally, and I hope most importantly, I think he's going to give us real practical help in our battle for holiness. Okay? Before we go on, look at chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 7, and following Do you notice, I won't make you read them how I sometimes do. You guys notice all of the eyes? 
Paul says, I, me, myself, I, me, myself. If you count them up, it's 47 times from here to the end of this chapter. Number one, you want to realize that Paul's speaking from experience here. He says, look, when it comes to trying to achieve holiness by strong will, I've done that. If there was ever a guy who tried to be good in his own strength by saying, I, me, I can do this myself, it was Paul. Let's see how it worked for him. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. In your outline, if you're taking one, your second word after annulled, and it's the first word concerning the law and sin, is this alerted, A-L-E-R-T-E-D. Paul says, the law is a great thing. It alerted me to my sin. Let me give you an example. You go to a national park tomorrow and you pick the flowers. You are destroying property, right? It's not till the next day you see the sign that says, no picking flowers under penalty of death. <laughs> At least now you know you're a criminal. You are alerted to your sin, right? Paul says, look, the law alerted me to my sin. And remember, again, this is Paul's personal testimony. Actually, it's, I think it's really fascinating, the one that he chose, covetousness. Really, really interesting. Picture Paul, okay, rewind back in Paul's life, because he's giving you his testimony here. Let's call him Saul, because that was his name back then. He was the Pharisee among Pharisees, he calls himself. I was the, the creme de la creme. I was the top of the heap. When it came to fulfilling the law, I was serious. No one could touch me. Imagine this man, Saul, sitting down with his favorite, favorite reading material, the Ten Commandments. The reason he loves it so much is because it boosts his self-image. He can check off the list and go, yeah, other people, losers, terrible, but me, check, 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 check. He loves doing this, okay? He goes, okay, let's see, uh, no other gods before me, check. No idols, check. Lord's name in vain, never, check. Sabbath day, check, and then some. I even make other people keep the Sabbath day. Uh, honor your father and mother, check. Uh, no murder, adultery, stealing, lying. Check, 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 check. About this time he's going, God, you are so lucky to have me. Let's see, what's last on the list? Let's see, oh, here it is, Exodus 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Saul goes... Wait a second. All these other things that I could check off the list were outward things. I could totally look at other people and say, you've done that, but I haven't done that. I could totally put that check by the box. No idols, no murder, no swearing, no lying. But wait a second, coveting. Now you're talking about my inside, Lord. That's an inward thing. Saul's going, you mean, God, you are keeping track even when I covet inside? Whoop, whoop, whoop. The alert bells went off. 
Paul says the law, and it took me all the way to the last one, alerted me to my sin. That was a good thing. But it didn't stop there. Your third A, if you're writing it down, is unfortunately another thing happened. The law, that same law that alerted me to my sin, also aroused the sin in me. Look at verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, when I got it, when I understood, sin revived. The, the law alerted me to my sin, Paul says, but something else happened too. That same law aroused sin in me. Uh, you could say, the law awakened the sleeping giant of sin in me. Matter of fact, look back at verse 5. He says it a different way. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were, it says what? Aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. In verse 5, he says, aroused by the law. But look at verse 9. He puts it a different way. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived. Verse 5, he says, sin was aroused by the law. Verse 9, he says, sin was revived by the law. How can I illustrate this? How many of you have ever seen a horror movie? Okay? Where the monster is wreaked havoc for, well, they're usually very cheap movies for 70 minutes. And there's, finally they've killed this monster. There's only five minutes left of the movie. And the girl goes back to kick the monster one last time. You're thinking, no, no, don't do it, don't do it. She's blonde. (laughs) As much as you scream at the screen, don't do it, she's still going to go kick that monster one last time. What happens? The monster is revived And you have the five last minutes, right? One last go-around. Paul says, look, the law, though it's good, here's what it does. It kicks, it prods, it arouses the monster of sin in us. If you don't believe me, put a sign on your car that says, please don't touch this car, and whatever you do, don't sit on it. What will happen? Soon you'll have so many people sitting on your car, you could start a home fellowship. Right? When we see a line, we got to cross it. Um, I was trying to think of some great thing to, uh, way to illustrate it, and I spaced it off, which is no surprise. But it's like, what if we told all of the kids as they were coming in tonight, hey, whatever you do, don't touch your nose. <laughs> but, whoa. Before they even thought almost, right? There's something about the line that we want to cross. You know what that is? Sin in us. It's that monster inside of us. Maybe I shared this before. True story of a hotel that overlooked a lake. And when the people built the hotel, they were very concerned that people would fish off the balcony because it was just such a gorgeous lake and that it was was a great fishing lake. So they put up signs, please don't fish off the balcony. You know what happened, right? An epidemic. People who don't like to fish were learning how to fish just so they could fish off the balcony. Apparently there were broken windows from uh, the, the lead sinkers. Is that what they're called? I don't even know. 
So they're like, we've got a crisis here. What do we do? They bring in a consultant. Consultant checks the situation out and says, oh, take down the signs. They took down the signs. No more problem. Nobody, nobody would think to fish off the balcony unless you put a sign that says, don't fish. See, you draw a line in the sand and people will line up to cross it. Think about this. There's nothing wrong with a rule. The, the rule is good. It's right. The, the, the law alerts me to my sin, but because I'm a sinner by nature with a monster inside me, the law arouses sin in me. But it doesn't stop there. Next, once sin is aroused in me, guess what? It begins to take control. And Paul says, here's the next thing that happened to me. Sin attacked me. And guess what? It used the law. It was like I was taming the the tiger with this club and the tiger ripped it out of my hands and started beating me with it. Verse 8, But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Look down at verse 11. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. The word opportunity in verse 8 and the word occasion in verse 11, same word. It's the word eforme. And guess what it means? It's a military word, and it means a place from which an attack is made. It's a military base of operations. Paul says, here's what happened to me. Sin was aroused by the law, and guess what? It set up a command post. Sin's like, okay, I got a guy here who wants to do the right thing. Guess what? I'm going to stay here and destroy him by it. And guess what? The law, the rules that this guy wants to use, I am going to make that my base of operations. It's going to be a one-two punch. Uh, For instance, this guy, wants to if he wants to beat the sin of lust, you know what I'll do? I'll send him to Florida in the summer with bikinis and billboards. And guess what? Then I will remind him that even to look at a woman with lust in your heart is adultery. I'll kill him. Look, he wants to be anger. Here's what I'll do. I'll surround him with irritating, disrespectful people. And then I will remind him that anger without a cause is just like murder. This is awesome. I'm going to annihilate this guy. Paul says, suddenly, what started out as me trying to be good to follow the rules became the base of operations for my adversary, sin. Now you ask any military guy, when your base of operations becomes the base of operations for your enemy, that's not going to end well. Even though the law is good, it's right, it's holy, verse 12. Even though you try to follow it, this will not end well for you, Paul says. It didn't for me. Paul says, the law alerted me to my sin, aroused sin in me. Next, sin took over and attacked me from my own base of operations, the law. Finally, Paul says, the outcome, sin assassinated me by the law. Sin used the law to kill me. That's what it says in this whole text, actually. Um, Trying to figure out how to do this. I got three reading parts. I got, okay, I got it. This side, you guys be sin. (laughs) Lucky you. You guys be, um, 
You guys be death. Lucky you. You guys in the back, back there, you guys get to be the good guys. You are the law, the rules, okay? Here we go. Um, when I stop, I, I will... You've got you to remember your parts, okay? When I stop, you guys say these words. Okay, we're in verse 5, okay? We've got sin, <laughs> death, and the law. Here we go, verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful, sinful passions, which were aroused by the... Law. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> the sinful passions were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to yeah. oh wow they're good verse 9 I was alive once without the law but when the commandment that's law sorry guys commandment thank you Lisa <laughs> but when the commandment came sin revived and I verse 10 and the commandment, thank you, Lisa, which was to bring life, I found to bring for taking occasion by the deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. But Paul says, I still end up dead. Do you get it? Paul says, look, I tried to be good by following the rules. The rules were perfect. There was nothing wrong with them. They were holy, just, good. And here's how it went down. The law alerted me to my sin. That's a good thing. The law aroused sin within me. That was not something I was expecting. Then sin turned around and attacked me from my own base of operations. Everywhere I turned, it was like... A grenade was falling in my lap. Temptation, failure, followed by condemnation. I tried to be good and it was killing me. Sin used the law, my own weapon, to assassinate me and now I'm dead. Am I reading anyone's diary here? Maybe in the past. Maybe even in the present. You try and you try to be good. You just want to live by the rules. The rules are good. They are perfect. If you could just keep them, everything would be great. But try as you might, you fail. Assassinated by your enemy with your own gun. Is there any hope? Yep. Have you ever heard this saying? Because it's true. The devil always overplays his hand. He has this way of snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory. He has this way of not knowing when to stop and it ends up being his demise. He always overplays his hand. Right? It happened at the cross. He thought he had won. I've killed God's son. But really, he had sealed his own doom. Y'all, listen, this, it happens in this chapter. Satan looks like a genius. He's killed us with his, our own gun. That's pretty smart. Seems as though it is. Satan laughs as we lay dead, not realizing that God does his best work in resurrection. Now read verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. 
For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. This is awesome. I think we have come full circle. Paul says, look, this is how it happened in my life. The law alerted me to sin. The law aroused sin in me. My sin then attacked me from the base of operations of the law. Then it assassinated me with the law, leaving my marriage to the law annulled. Because I'm dead. Satan overplayed his hand leaving me free to marry and serve Christ. Paul says, look, I don't have to serve Mr. Perfect anymore. Though he was good and right, he was, he was Mr. Perfect. You couldn't say anything bad about him. But I tell you this, every day I spent with that man, he made me feel like dirt. Because I couldn't measure up. Now I'm free. I'm free to serve another perfect one who loves me just the way I am. And he's patient with me. And he gives me passion and power to serve him, to be more like him. Verse 5. For when we were in the flesh, that is, when we tried to do it in our flesh. Do you see that? Look, when we, when we tried to do in our flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law at work in our members to bear fruit to death. As hard as we tried when we were in the flesh, that happened every single time. Look at verse 6. But now. When was the last time you saw that word and it was so glorious? Romans 3, verse 21. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Condemned to death. But now. Romans 3, 21. God has provided a way apart from the law by which you may be saved, by which you can be righteous, justified. Y'all, verse 6, but now is an awesome two-word phrase. But now we have been delivered from Mr. Perfect from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve, look at this, in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of a letter. Newness and oldness. It's important to understand he's not talking chronologically. He's talking about quality. Not in the oldness, but in newness. If you look up the word oldness, it means worse for the wear. Old, decrepit, powerless. And, and interesting, where you see the word letter there, I think a, a lot of times, and it's not inaccurate to say the letter of the law. That's kind of where Paul's going, but listen to this. If you look it up in the Blue Letter Bible, you'll see under the word letter, a note of hand, a bill, a bond, a written acknowledgement of a debt. He's saying, look, you are free now to serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old, powerless, trying to pay off this debt. 
because you're going to find yourself more and more behind the debt. He says, but listen, another one came, a perfect one came and says, let me pay your debt for you. Now let's start over. And every time you come to him, he says he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The word, that's the word oldness and letter. Look at now the word newness. It's the same word you'll find in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, that says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. I hope this is clicking for you. If you're desperately searching, you're wanting to gain some victory in this battle for holiness. I promise you, if you make a list and check it twice, trying to not be naughty but nice, if you do that, you will find yourself failing. But if instead you focus on relationship, you focus on coming before your new husband, every chance you get, if you take from him that which he offers, which is complete newness of life, even today, you think, well, I was saved 20 years ago. Guess what? He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's written to believers. See, Paul is sharing amazing secrets, I think, concerning holiness, sanctification. He says, look, I used to serve out of debt to the law. I was decrepit, tottering. I was the worst for the wear. And the fruit that it brought, he says, death, mine. Not a good thing. But now he says, look, I'm dead to the law. And my debt then has can- was canceled by that death. And guess what? I am free to serve my new husband who makes me brand new every time I ask him. I'm able to serve this new husband with passion and the same power of the one true love that I have found. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. I I just hope that uh, this has been as helpful to those whom you love, who you brought here tonight, as it has been for me as I've discovered it. I know a lot of it is um, doctrine or theory, Lord, but this is how you this is how you share with us real strategy. It always starts with us understanding. So, Lord, I pray that um, each one here who calls you Lord and Master, who's given their life to you, pray, Lord, that uh, the the doctrine, the theory, the understanding, you would bring a breakthrough that we would understand that you are so loving and forgiving. You are the new husband. And because Satan has overplayed his hand and because you have allowed us to be crucified in you, that we find ourselves completely free, starting with a new slate, whenever we ask. Lord, I I so preferred it to wage the battle for holiness from that spot than from a mountain of debt. Lord, I pray that you'd help each one. Help us, Lord, to get it, to understand it, to apply it, to live as grateful believers whom you have set free, whom you love. You love us just the way we are, Lord, but you're not 
You're not content to just leave us there, but you help us to be more and more like you. Just being around you, Lord, I want to be more like you. Thank you, Lord, for these, your disciples, and pray your richest blessing, mostly of understanding and victory in these areas. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.